0: All right, let's do this thing. It is episode number 265, Red Sox Beat. This is Josh Lewin, and I guess on the one hand, isn't it nice that we have baseball to talk about? I'm certainly very excited that we have actual ball games and standings and whatnot. On the other hand, at the time of this recording, COVID has reared its ugly head, and the Marlins, as you may have heard, they are quite infected, and everything seems to be a little bit up in the air, but isn't that what 2020 is all about? On the program today, trying to get you to smile just a little bit, other than just thinking, hey, there's baseball back. Want to try to make it as normal as possible for you. Going to dig out from our spring training archives, an interview done with one of the new coaches, who's a really good guy, Jerry Naren, bench coach, in a very interesting year with Ron Reneke having this thing all to himself now and it's not that he can't do it alone but it's nice to have someone who's a veteran to have your back and between jerry Naron and ron reneke i think they got a lot of good things there in that dugout the season itself hasn't started so great i don't think that's jerry's fault i don't think that's ron's fault we'll get into all that in a minute but we also have and maybe this is where we get in it. rob bradford the great rob bradford will join us at w-e-e-i.com. And the Brad Foe Show, see, he's got a podcast too. But not doing a lot currently with that. We do this every week because, doggone it, we're we're committed here. Or we should be committed with, with all that's going on. Let's take this kind of uh, brick by brick before we get to Brad Foe here. It dawned on me as I saw that Bugs Bunny turns 80 this week. Uh, I can't stop thinking about the meme that I'm sure you've seen too. It's of that great... Bugs Bunny classic where he just takes a saw and right at the Florida panhandle just saws it off and pushes it right on into the Atlantic. See you later, Florida. I'm kind of there, exasperation-wise, myself right now. not a big Florida fan, even when it's going well. But if you'll allow me to be slightly political here, I don't mean the, to bring you down, but look, the expectation and, uh, of baseball... And the nation's response to the pandemic, I just think, very sadly similar. There's all kinds of writing on the wall that it's going to be difficult and it's going to be sad. And in true American spirit and idiocy, we all go, ah, it'll all work out. You know, uh, the president said someday this will all just magically go away. And I think with baseball, we did that a little bit trying to start the season. Uh, Again, not to to be uh, controversial or difficult, but we just kind of shrugged and said, let's play. I mean, yes, there are protocols. There's plenty of protocols. But how do we really think this was going to go? And I bring that all up because I think with the Red Sox, just in terms of the ability on the field, I think we all did a lot of that too. The fact that they just lost two out of three to Baltimore to start the year, of course, that's very disappointing. But are you really that surprised if you really, really put your head on this here? There's no Chris Sale. There's no Erod right now. There's no David Price. You were going to have Nathan Avaldi and a lot of what's next. I I mean, we knew that going in. If anybody was going to not hit right away, it was going to be difficult. If the bullpen was going to not be great right away, it was going to be difficult. As we record this here, they're 1-2. and And I know Baltimore was the opponent, so it really shouldn't be. But I'm not completely knocked over surprised. I'm just not. The deal is you don't have to be great to make the playoffs this year you could really win 28 29 30 games out of 60 and because 16 out of 30 teams make it you could actually be okay so see that's the positive spin that i'm putting on this we'll get to rob bradford talk a little bit about all that in just a moment of course jerry Naron, as i mentioned hey with sports trying to come back your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner betonline.ag that's here as well mlb for now is in full swing no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Bet Online has all the odds, all the futures, all the props for you to bet on. And as sports start to return, Online has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Horry, seven-time NBA champ, Harold Reynolds for baseball, to get their opinions on what it will be like playing without fans and what they have called Fandemic. So uh, check that out. Go to BetOnline.ag. Check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up, take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses they're running out. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, let's get this thing going. It's going to sound very different momentarily because instead of doing a normal recording, this is all on the phone because we live in a Zoom slash cell phone conversation world now. I can't just roll up on Rob Bradford and knock on his door. You ready? Let's go to the phones now. As you can hear it sounds like a phone, right? Well, let's bring on Rob Bradford, Bradford Show Podcast, weei dot com. Longtime newspaper reporter, knowledge of many things, stocks, past, present, and future. Bradford, great to have you. Happy to report you are as of now without the coronavirus. But like everyone else, I'm sure you can't stop looking over your shoulder, especially after the news about the Marlins outbreak. And I, I guess we all knew it was just a matter of time, but we were we were hoping the time wouldn't be four days into the season.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely good to talk with you, Josh, again, and it's, you're right. I mean, it's day-to-day. I think that that's why everybody, anybody who looks at a week from now, a month from now, you know, it's nuts. It's crazy to do that. It's We're living hour-to-hour, and particularly as we talk right here, we're living hour-to-hour with all the news that's coming out in baseball, because when we woke up this morning, certainly we thought, oh, things are turning in the right direction. You know, you, oh, yeah, you have the here and there. But it is not a major problem. Baseball's handling it pretty well, and then boom comes the latest roadblock. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, you really you really can't just assume anything, I guess.
0: You know, I can't stop thinking about how here's Eduardo Rodriguez who's battling myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart muscle, commonly caused by a viral infection, and. A lot of complications coming out of that. We're all just kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs, like assuming he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing about Erod? And obviously for this season, without him back, I mean, it's just, I mean, you're almost ready to punt already.
1: Yeah, well, it goes along the lines of what I'm saying about, you know, we can't even project the you know, past today. And I think that people aren't looking at the Eduardo Rodriguez in the correct way. It's myocarditis. Is I actually had this, and it's when I had pneumonia. And as viruses do, that that a lot of times will lead to myocarditis, which is, as you said, attacks the uh, the lining of the heart, inflammation of the heart. And it's something where you obviously have to be careful because it's the heart, it's a no brainer. And then it's something that you have to monitor and it's something you have to take care of. And there's a reason why he isn't doing anything for a week because you have to let the, let the enzymes in the heart go down. You have to let the inflammation go down. This isn't an elbow. This isn't a shoulder. This isn't a knee. This is the heart. And I, I think, and I'm shocked, honestly, Josh, that he isn't opting out. I, I, if anybody has the right to opt out, of this thing like Eduardo Rodriguez does. He said yesterday, you know, it, it was a scary thing when he heard about it and he's still scared, but at least he knows what it is. Um, so to, to think about how it might impact the Red Sox, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think the Red Sox have to go into this season thinking that you don't have Eduardo Rodriguez and, and, you know, if you get him, okay, fine, as long as he checks out. But right now, you know, I, I can't imagine that he's going to be coming back anytime soon.
0: You know, I've been trying so hard not to use the phrase whistling past the graveyard because graveyards connotes death. But in so many ways, and I don't mean to turn it all political, I already kind of have on this podcast, and I apologize to people, but – aren't we not just as a society but specifically in baseball doing a lot of that i mean just kind of hoping for the best and then you know kind of shrugging and saying ah you know it's just there's a part of us all i think that as much as we want to see games at fenway and hear obi on the air on tv and hear the radio guys it's like what are we doing
1: yeah i totally agree and i think it's it's gone to the point where we were, we were almost celebrating the fact that, oh, Juan Soto can, can come down with COVID-19 a few hours before the opener and we can still go play baseball because we've handled this so well. No, we know that we can't, we shouldn't demi- dismin- diminish the whole COVID thing. And I think that we have been, where we're, we've been tying ourselves into not trying to saying, well, these guys are young guys. These are athletes. Well, if you get it, what's the big deal? I've heard that, Josh, on the radio too, too many times. Well, what are these guys doing opting out? Well, what, what are they talking about? You know, they, they don't have to worry about it. They're not in that demographic which should really worry about the, the cause and effect of COVID-19. And then you have the reality of like Eduardo Rodriguez, which is it's a reminder that, number one, there are other things besides this age. Number two, there are a lot of things that we don't know. I can tell you right now that you know, this myocarditis is something that probably Eduardo Rodriguez will have to live with the rest of his life, and it stems from COVID-19. And there's other things that we don't even know about that a lot of these players or young people and, and their kids and their families are at risk for because of COVID-19. And, and that's why I think that it becomes a very, very slippery slope. Um, when we try to, to, to paint a pretty picture on baseball's back and isn't everything great. It's, I'm happy baseball's back. I think that they're, especially, you know, being around the Red Sox, I think they're doing a really good job of doing everything they can. But we, once again, we can't diminish what we're dealing with here.
0: The so great, Rob, Brad, for spending some time with us. I'm trying my best to get the pendulum swung over to talk just some actual baseball with you. It's almost like I feel like I'm dragging the pendulum. <laughs> like weighted it down with bricks here, but, and I guess this is Gallo's humor too. I just found it funny that the guy they just claimed off waivers was actually named Stock, because it's like they're stocking up on the best mediocrity that they can find here. I mean, do, do any of these guys have an ERA of under five ever that they're picking up? And I know a lot of this is high in bloom, just, uh, you know, it's what he did in Tampa Bay. You throw a hundred of these guys against the wall and two of them stick. You're a genius. But, uh, between Stephen Gonzalez and Stock, and uh, you know, I mean, even Zach Godley. I mean, Zach Godley couldn't make the Tigers. So again, uh, I, as a cynic, I go right back to that same phrase, Rob. It's like, w- w- what are we doing?
1: Well, I don't think you're a cynic. I think you're a realist. And I think that you know, you mentioned you did mention Dylan Covey. You know, Dylan Covey was another one which they actually threw in a game, which in a game which they were still in. Even though he hadn't pitched a one single second for the Red Sox, and was coming off a, a year where he had an over seven ERA for the White Sox, and and so, it, it, Josh, I, I got to be honest with you, it drives me nuts because though this is sort of the way that baseball is going and acquisitions are going. I understand, like, you, you take a flyer and some guys. Listen, the Red Sox, you were, you saw these guys. The Red Sox have Marcus Walden, they have Ryan Brazier, they have these sort of guys because of that approach. But they didn't put stock in them right away. They didn't say, hey, go, go get them down two in the second game of the year and what is a pretty big game and come through even though we don't really know what you're all about. They didn't do that. But what's happening in baseball more and more is these places, these GMs and these executives, instead of going off of what these guys have done in the past, they're saying, well, if we t- tweak this and we do this, we think that you're going to be really, really good, and we'll we'll figure it out. And and you know what? Sometimes it works, but it's not something you build a team off of. And right now, the, in, <laughs> more, more times than not, with the Red Sox entire pitching staff, that's exactly what they're doing. Martin Perez is another one. The guy had the highest whip in baseball last year and he's your number two starter so it is it is maddening so far
0: i i don't mean to quote cold play because i hate cold play but it's that whole thing about finding out your castle stand on pillars of salt and pillars of sand uh, and to me the <laughs> bullpen is it is precisely that thing and you know even before the, these pickups i mean i'm looking at this Mets series Ostich and Hall isn't exactly "spawn and Sane and pray for rain, brother." I mean, Ostich <laughs> and Hall and head to the mall or, or something. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and, well, it's not patented. Feel free to use it. But uh, I, I do note, however, in reading your fine work on weei. dot com, you had an interesting backstory on this on this guy Robert Stock. Would you mind sharing?
1: Yeah. So this Robert Stock. I, I mean, I. As someone who follows baseball, I feel like I should have known who Robert Stock was after looking back into his backstory because he was evidently the best 13-year-old in the country, according to Baseball America. Um, he went to USC as a 16-year-old, went there and basically took himself out of the draft. So he was, he was a star at USC, ended up being a second-round pick for the Cardinals, and he was a catcher. He pitched and caught, and then he was a catcher when they signed him. That didn't really work out. So 2014, he becomes a pitcher. That didn't work out. So he bounces around a little bit, ends up in an independent ball, and, you know, was okay, but still doesn't get any interest. This is about 2017. So what happens is he goes in with his video camera with his wife and and takes some video of him throwing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs in Scottsdale at a park. And, and off of that, he gets signed by the Reds. And then off of that, the, the stint with the Reds, he – He makes the Padres last year, the Major League, I'm sorry, in 2018, and then he makes the opening day roster last year with the Padres. And now listen, I mean, he was, he was let go by the, or picked up on waivers by the Phillies off the Padres, and then he was designated once again by the Phillies. So it's not like Robert Stock's story is like Rich Hill. You know, it's, this is, there's still a ways to go, but it is interesting considering how, how highly touted this 13 year old was. And all of a sudden, as a 30-year-old, he lands with the Red Sox with this pretty interesting backstory.
0: I guess that is the one good thing about picking up one guy after another who you just don't know. You're so good at, you know, kind of ferreting out backstories, and it's like there's no shortage of that for you with the Red Sox the way they go at it. And no shortage if, indeed, they play of hope even still, Rob, because obviously going from 10 playoff teams to 16 – more teams make it than don't make it this year. You could go play 490 ball and still have a shot to win a World Series this year. So I think the Red Sox are very fortunate in that regard. You and I are talking right now. I'm looking at the standings where everybody's either two and one or one and two. There was a little blip in time where literally the whole league was basically had the same record. You know, nobody went three and zero. Nobody went zero and three. So to me, it's almost emblematic of anything goes this year, right? And I guess
1: that's what we're hanging our hope on. Yeah, yeah, and that that is the saving grace. But you know, like you said before, it's 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 great. But then you look at what what you have coming up in terms of pitching matchups and in terms of opponents for the Red Sox, and 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 also what you just saw. I mean, I think that if nothing else, I would hope that Ron Renicki would take the last two games, these two losses against the Orioles, take him and learn from them because there was a lot to learn. This was, for a, guy, for a guy who's been around baseball for a long time, he obviously knows a lot more about managing a baseball team than I do. But this is different. This is a 60-game season, and I think that there are some lessons to be learned, which he has to take into this week, uh, that, you know, you have to adjust to this type of season. I said it on Twitter, Josh. I like If you hit a home run, you're in the lineup the next day. I don't care. Mitch Morland hits a home run. And the next day, they're putting Michael Chavis at first base, Michael Chavis, who right now looks like a double-A player. He can't hit anything. And you cannot go so much on matchups, so much on analytics, nearly as much as you would in a 162-game season. You have to ride the hot hand. And I'm talking about, you know, leaving a right-handed hitter in to face a right-handed pitcher, that sort of thing. That's some of the things that I think that I would hope that he he sort of adjusts to as we go forward.
0: Rob, I wasn't there. You were. One of the jarring things, I think, this weekend, just watching from afar, was the stark reality that number 50 is not in right field anymore. Mookie Betts, we know, is not going to be a Red Sox ever again, right? I mean, 13 years and a bazillion dollars, that tells the tale for the L.A. Dodgers. So we haven't had a chance, you and I, to break that down yet. But emotionally, just watching how happy how content, how satisfied Mookie appears to be on the wrong coast, as it were, wearing blue instead of red. I mean, it's like everything's opposite all of a sudden. How are you doing just kind of emotionally with with that piece?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a lot to pick through with the Mookie situation. Number one, I think he landed in a great spot for Mookie. I mean, I think he couldn't land in a better spot. You know, Josh, like when these guys sign these sort of contracts, Bryce Harper's, Machado's, Trout, whoever – you know, they're expected to be the face of the franchise. They're expected to, to go to the luncheons. They're expected to be out in front with everything. I don't think Mookie necessarily wants to be that guy. And even with his contract, I don't think he's going to be expected to be that guy with the Dodgers. I think LA is a perfect place for him. And, and, you know, he got out of Boston and he saw that. He saw, hey, you know, what? this is pretty cool. We, I like this scene. I like this environment. I like this team, like everything about it. So this seems like a good place to sign. And in terms of like the the actual signing, you know, we've heard from Mookie, it was business decision this, business decision that, and you know what? Even though it was less than he was wanted maybe a year ago, it was a business decision because the the biggest form of currency right now is certainty, and certainty was what he got with the Dodgers. And okay, he didn't get four hundred million, but let's say that he got fifty million worth of certainty, so. the then that comes out to $356 million. It was worth it for Mookie Betts. And um, I think that he got the deal, and a really, really good deal, about as good a deal as he would have got, I think, even in the offseason because it is so uncertain. I'm happy for him. I think the Red Sox now it's going to be fascinating to see what the Red Sox do with their mookie money, their pile of cash. Um so it it wasn't a shock and uh and once again, you know, it's, I'm I'm really I'm happy for Mookie because, you know, he's he's a dynamic player, he was a fun player to watch here, but this was inevitable.
0: Is it inevitable, Rob? And I hope the answer is no that I, the Red Sox going forward can be kind of like the 2012 to 2018 or so Phillies, the 2015 to the 2019 or 2020 Tigers, the Angels the entire decade, last decade, where they don't shy away from huge contracts. They're trying to replenish their young talent base, but they don't really do it. It's a long, painful rebuild that you don't want to call that. So you just kind of spin your wheels for a while. Are they at risk of being, I would say to me, that it's the Phillies of maybe seven years ago that scares me the most. I mean, they're not going to be that team, are they?
1: No, you know, I don't think so. I think that, you know, I think a lot of people around here were giving them, are going to give them a pass because they knew that, you know, this was all about resetting the luxury tax so you can spend money. And it wasn't about spending money this off season or this year. It was about, Really, what are you going to do, like you said, with that Mookie money? What are you going to do with that money or the, once you get it? And I will say this about ownership. You know, they always have had one of the highest payrolls. Now, they haven't always spent it wisely, but they have always had one of the highest payrolls. And I would imagine that they're going to free up to to make some sort of move along those lines. There's a lot of things you can do. You know, I do, do I think that they should go out and sign George Springer? Probably not. You know, do I think they should sign Trevor Bauer? No, probably not. But, you know, maybe like you, you eye a Lindor or Korea the next year. Maybe you, you you really have to prioritize spending a lot of locking up Eduardo Rodriguez and Rafael Devers, that sort of thing. So the first step is to get the money. And, and one of the things that as we sit here and we we begin the conversation about the state of baseball and are they going to play, the Red Sox desperately need baseball to play to get at least to the end of August. Because if they don't get to the end of August, the luxury tax doesn't reset. And that's a whole other year of going through this sort of uh, situation.
0: From what you saw over this first weekend, Rob, I'm trying not to panic. I know it was the Orioles, and and that hurts because right now I'm looking at, you know, they're in first place and they're the Orioles. But Benintendi and Devers started 0-for-18 with nine strikeouts through two games. We saw an 0-for-5 with four punchouts Saturday for Devers. We've never seen that game from him before. Everything's magnified, right? I mean, if we do that 2.7 thing, you know, I mean, every mm-hmm. game that you have is like that. It's like you had a whole weekend like that. But who do you look at? I mean, I don't worry about Devers do you. I still kind of worry about Ben just because I'm a nervous guy. I haven't seen the, you know, the, the full on Benny full season thing yet. So who are you high on and low on in a two month season that we hope to have?
1: Well, I don't know if I'm high on this person or low on this person, but one of the most important people. Is going to be the mental performance coach, and because you know this is the person who is going to have to convince these guys. Hey, listen, don't overreact. Hey, Raphael Devers, don't try too hard because you saw it as well as I did, Josh. You know, it's like you when he he's a well-meaning kid and he wants to do really well, and sometimes he overswings. and and when you're getting in a 60-game season, and all of a sudden you start off slow. Human nature is to try too hard to get it back in a hurry. Same thing with Benintendi. I've never seen him look worse than he he has in his first three games. I think it was like you know 0 for 10 with five strikeouts, and he's not even close. So when you get into this situation, as you said, the 2.7 games, and and you start saying I don't have much time to get going, and if I don't get going, and I do end up on these two months. With an awful stat line, that is going to paint how people view me in my career, whether it's contractually or whether it's just overall perception. You know, there's a lot weighing on these guys and I think that that sort of isn't, isn't accounted for enough. How much this short season mentally is going to take a toll on them.
0: Last one for you, and I want to try to keep it light because we're just surrounded by all this gloom and doom. Uh, <laughs> is there a Rob Bradford cutout somewhere? Is there a one-dimensional If <laughs> I missed
1: it, I wish. Believe me, Josh, I wish I could take a cardboard cutout of myself, plant it in the press box, and have him sit there through that Martin <laughs> Perez game the other day because, <laughs> because it's it, it just oh look at this this Rob he's working so hard yeah. he's sitting he, no, even here. though he, even though he's sitting he's sitting through this awful awful performance um yeah so I yeah. I think that we're on to something
0: let your one-dimensional stunt double do it. I don't know if you ever saw the Family Guy episode where, where Brian creates or wants to create the, the double for himself because Dewey <laughs> created bitch Dewey so that he can do all that nonsense, like go to birthday parties and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, laugh, clown, laugh right now. That's all we got, buddy. But you, yeah, you help me yeah. that. You help Red Sox fans do that. I sure appreciate you. And, and thanks for spending time on Red Sox feed as always.
1: Yeah, always good talking with you, Josh. And hopefully i talk soon.
0: There it was. Hope you loved it. There was a Rob Bradford interview in all its splendor. Now, let's move along. Let's make this podcast sound like everything's reasonably normal. Jerry Naron, gentleman, calligrapher, bench coach, did a bunch of interviews in spring training, figuring, yeah, we'll just kind of roll them in in April or so, and you guys can get to know some of the new people. Jerry Naron's not new. I mean, Jerry Naron was playing for the Yankees in the 70s. Mariners 80 and 81 Angels mid 80s of course he was on the other side of things in the 86 ALCS Mariners again to finish his playing career in 87 I knew Jerry as a manager in the minor leagues in the 90s he got to be the Texas Rangers manager in the early double o's the Reds manager for a little while he's been a bench coach uh, and, and base coach for a lot of different teams Orioles Rangers Red Sox for 03 and if you don't remember that that's okay uh, Reds, Brewers, Diamondbacks, and now, once again, the Boston Red Sox. So, without any further ado, here's a little spring training sound for you with Jerry Naren. I'm actually going to start with you, Jerry, since you just posted a lineup card. Uh, you have become known for your calligraphy. I know it's something that people will, will wear you out on, but I, my guess is if you didn't like the, uh, the attention that comes with it, you, you'd probably stop doing it. You, you must enjoy... The, the quiet act of penning a lineup card. Is it cathartic for you? Why, why do you keep doing it?
2: I, you know, I, I started doing it for one thing, I have a belief that whatever you do, do it the very best you can do it. Doesn't matter how small it is. You know, I grew up with parents that said, if you dig a ditch, be the best ditch digger you can possibly be. Right. So the lineup card, that's doing it the best I can do it. The other thing was when I was a coach with the Orioles in the early nineties, Johnny Oates was a very particular man. And he wanted to make sure the lineup card looked, you know, looked really good, and uh, so I just messed around with it, and came up with calligraphy.
0: The one you just posted, by the way, I have to out you on this. Kent Maeda happens to be pitching for Minnesota as we're speaking. Did you know Japanese? Did you have to look that up? Because that is a perfect, if I Googled it, you nailed Kenta Maeda in Japanese.
2: Well, I started with it when Ichiro first came over here. I saw Ichiro written on some billboards in Seattle. and I thought, man, that's pretty easy. So I wrote Ichiro, and then the more guys from Asia that came over here, it became a little more difficult, but I'm not going to give up my secrets on how I know how to write them. But usually I'll find somebody's interpreter. That's how I first started it and make sure it's right
0: only man in the world says writing Japanese is easy is Jerry and Aaron. So, real quick, for the people that, that don't realize or maybe are too young to remember this, uh, in 2003, you were part of the Red Sox. And it was a, that was a pretty cool year. Didn't have quite the ending. Oh, Ford did. But what are your memories 17 years ago? Wow. What, what brings you back?
2: A great bunch of winning baseball players. And uh, guys that came out every night got after it. You knew that nucleus was there to win, and it was just a matter of time when they put it together and would and, and win. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, I went from there to Cincinnati the next year, and uh, partly out of my choice, partly not out of my choice, but uh, I, just those guys that were here, you knew they were going to win. It was a great group of guys.
0: Who were the guys on the coaching staff that were your, your guys, your real guys in 03?
2: Uh, Mike Covich coached third base. Dallas Williams was at first. Ron Jackson was a hitting coach. Yuki Rojas was uh, uh, the bullpen coach. And uh, Tony Kleininger, who was sick, was the pitching coach. And Dave Wallace came in.
0: Of that group, Jerry, who did you remain close with? When you went to Cincinnati, who did you make sure you stayed in touch with?
2: Well, you know, I've tried to always stay close with everybody if you see them in the game. The one thing about baseball is you can be away from... uh, somebody for 17 years and you see them again it was like you never left you know like tim wakefield walked in the clubhouse this morning i haven't really talked to wake in a few years and it was like you know we left each other yesterday
0: one thing about being a bench coach and that's what you've been hired to do there's you know a lot of people i think kind of regard that as some weird like manager and waiting thing you know and, and it's, it's got to be a delicate balance because you're not obviously you're not here to to vulture anybody's job you're here to help uh, but it's a weird kind of purgatory, I've always thought. You're, I mean, if somebody gets kicked out of the game, you're up, right? So, I mean, how do you just compartmentalize all
2: that? Well, for one thing, I'm probably the only bench coach in baseball that that uh, is not looking to be a big league manager. Well, there, I, that is, that. Not, yeah, that yeah. is not my agenda. My agenda <laughs> is to uh, help the Red Sox be the very best organization they can be and this club be the very best club it can be, and that goes from you know, from the top to the bottom.
0: So there, because and, and, I know you've been other places too, where people would, would say, "Wow, you know, this guy's got so much experience." You know, is he just the, the manager in waiting? Whether you're a, a hitting coach, a bench coach, a first base coach, uh, is that something you feel like you have to fend off sometimes? Just in general, that people assume you want the big job.
2: Yeah, that, you know, that I have had a lot of people say that. You know, about when are you going to manage again, That's or right. you're being a bench coach But no, not really. I'm, I'm telling you from my heart, it's to, to help this organization be the best it can be.
0: Your memories of Arizona? Before I let you go, uh, you you were with some good people there, and there's a lot of Red Sox connective tissue between Boston and Arizona. But how'd you like that experience?
2: I, I loved it. You know, one thing uh, with the experience I have, I go from uh, early in my career to not getting any kind of information, and you know, now later in my career, there's a lot of information coming down from the front office. I thought the group in uh, Arizona did a great job getting that down to the staff and us being able to communicate it with the players and. Uh, for, you know, I think anybody that stays around in the game, it doesn't matter where you are, what position you are, it's a lot about making adjustments. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing I've been able to do is make adjustments in the game and use the information we have. And uh, I love where the game's going that direction.
0: How quickly do you synthesize what is important what is not? Because I've seen the stacks of paper you get in any front, not just the Red Sox or Diamondbacks, but they'll give you a mountain of information. Does it, does it take you a little less time now to quickly say, okay, this is pile A and this is pile B? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, uh, the one thing about the information just over the last couple of years, you can tell what the players can really digest and really take out on the field, and that, that's kind of helped me a little bit being able to go through those big stacks. But I don't I don't mind it. I, I love it. I get to the ballpark early. I'm you know I'm, I watched the game yesterday this morning early, and uh, uh, it's just part of it. And I've been very blessed to stay in the game.
0: Final thing for you is just kind of the People Magazine kind of thing. Is just tell people something they might not know about you off the field what are your interests your pursuits your hobbies what you're netflixing whatever
2: uh, god family job and then uh, sometimes i get them out of order but that that is my <laughs> my priorities off the field and i've got children uh, all over the world it seems like i've got a family of one of my kids lives in israel i've got one in uh, hawaii her husband's in the army and uh uh, so I've got them in different places in the world. I've got a bonus son, my stepson. I call him my bonus son. Is in <laughs> you're, South you're Africa. One, South awesome. Africa right now Amazing. doing some kind of internship for mole rats. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> so I've got them all over the you're, world. But uh, it's a uh, God family uh, job.
0: You are the most interesting man in baseball. I've said that for years. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, Thank thanks, you. Thanks, all right, there you go. There is Jerry Naren. And his claim to fame, you, some of you might know, he was a backup to Thurman Munson with the Yankees. Thurman died in that plane crash right around this time of year, 1979. He was, uh, uh, Jerry was the Yankees' starting catcher the day after Thurman died, and he remained in the dugout during the pregame ceremonies, left the catcher's position empty out of respect which uh, Yankee fans fondly remember him for. He was traded to the Mariners with some great names, Juan Beniquez, Rick Anderson, and Jim Beattie for Jim Lewis and the great Rupert Jones. And see, a Rupert Jones reference before we say goodbye. We are going to say goodbye right now, promising you more next week, hopefully with more action, the Mets of course, have uh, rolled into town. By the time you listen to this, we might know if they beat the Mets or not. Rick Porcello will not pitch in this series because he got his bosoms blown off against the uh, the Atlanta Braves. What was that score? 14 to 1. He lasted two innings. Not a great first salvo from our dear friend Rick Porcello. But anyway, uh, Mets in town as you are listening to this podcast and the Red Sox will go on from there. We'll break it down for you next time on Red Sox Beat from CLNS. This is Josh Lewin.